You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, I'm Jesse McAnally. And I am Andrew DeWolf. And welcome to Musicals with Cheese, a podcast where I try to get Andrew to like musical theater. And Andrew, how are you doing today? I am doing pretty pretty good you know i just um i just got back from solving racism for the uh what is it the fourth time on this show yeah Um, so i mean did you do it by dancing or did you do it by being a fat white woman or did you do it by going to uganda and bringing mormonism which way did Um, you do it well uh this time i actually i adopted a uh a little black boy um and now we're a happy family and racism is dead racism is dead in america <laughs> this is sarcasm by the oh, way. This is not yeah, this is yeah, not yeah, a, yeah. a real belief. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. <laughs> um and Kate like I I feel like we're mitigating our critique of this musical right up front, um which is literally just the last 10 minutes of it. But this week by Patreon request of one Mitchell Young, we are talking about ragtime. Cue the music, Bree. See his face. I hear his heart beat. I look in those eyes. How wise they seem. Will when he is old enough. I will show him America And he will ride On the wheels of a dream Ragtime is a musical with music by Stephen Flaherty and lyrics by Lynn Ahrens. Um, in a book by the incredible Terrence McNally, May He Rest in Peace, it was based on Ragtime by E.L. Doctorow. It opened on Broadway in previews on December 26, 1997, followed by the official opening on January 18, 1998. It was the first production in the newly opened Ford Center of the Performing Arts. It closed on January 16th, 2000, after 834 performances and 27 previews. At the Tony Awards, the musical won awards for Best Featured Actress for Audra McDonald, Original Score, 
book, and orchestrations. And the plot of Ragtime is, based on the novel by, by E.L. Doctorow, this musical tapestry depicts an African-American family, a Jewish immigrant family, and a wealthy suburban wasp family in the turn of the century America. That, that, that's about right. <laughs> Andrew. Wasp, what is wasp? White, Anglo, Saxon, Protestant? That sounds right. I think, yeah. You don't hear that used very often anymore. I mean, you do, but you don't. If that makes sense. Yeah. It's used ironically very often. All right. That so does which, sound about right. What did you think about Ragtime? Because as we mentioned up front, this is a Patreon request. Um, I listened to the album many times before this, but never really dove into the show until now. And there is a lot of pressure on us because this is a lot of people's favorite musical, to be honest. Um, are we going to have the wow. hashtag controversial opinions today? Um... I'm not even sure. I think that we will have to do a little bit of ribbing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe a lot of it. Maybe a lot of it. But I, I don't know if my problem is with the musical itself in that like the music is generally pretty decent all the way through. Um, I mean, a lot of the staging and things, and I watched two different versions of this one. Um, and they both looked quite nice. I mean, it's, it's all decent. It's just, uh, I mean, you mentioned the ending. I think that there's some problem elements throughout because of the way they want to handle the subject matter. Right. But the ending is kind of where it epitomizes it. And it's like, oh, that's what you were going for? <laughs> now, let's talk about this separated as from this piece as is. And talk about its influence or inspiration, the book, um, Ragtime. Which I was, know nothing of this. So. Um, it was written by E.L. Doctorow, and this is a rare production, revolutionary in a way, in my opinion, because Doctorow was very involved in this production, um, mostly because he was very unhappy with the way that the film adaptation about 10 years beforehand had been handled. Um, and after comparing the two, um, I can see why. And he, Dr. O, is very happy with the final version in this musical and how it is. So, while saying, yeah, Terrence McNally is the official book writer, it was kind of musical by committee, um, both as they did many, many different productions, as well as just everyone in the room spatball opinions until they got what they got. So this feels like a musical made to satisfy everyone, therefore it satisfies no one. And I feel it's okay. because of that. Well, I mean, it definitely satisfies some people. You said that this is some people's favorite. Exactly. Which I'm, I'm trying to figure out what people would like so much about it, because that's eluding me a little bit. I cannot imagine this being many African-American people's favorite musical. <laughs> um... Well, I don't think so. Just up front, I mean, when you talk about like racism as a subject, yeah, I don't want to accuse the show of being racist. No, because I think that's a very extreme, and it obviously has an egalitarian uh, mindset to it. Um, yes. I don't think it's intentionally trying to be racist. I just think it's um, it it kind of undersells some aspects of racism in its message, um, and sort of pretends it can be solved in a very um like individual sort of way and i guess we have to get into the story to explain why we would think yes that. um before we do that really quick <laughs> what year do you think the original novel was published in if you had to like 
give a general time that you think, oh yeah, that feels like the time. Because I had a different opinion and I'm curious what yours was. I would say like late 80s. Mid 70s. Mid 70s, okay. Yeah, like 75. And it was I a mean, huge... this was probably very progressive for the 70s. Yes. Um, I just think in the modern context, it, our framework has changed pretty drastically. Mm-hmm. Um, let, I'm going to let you describe the plot of this now. Um, surprisingly, some of the characters that I would consider our lead characters are one of the some of the only characters without names. Um, so, you know, you have a family. Oh, go ahead. That's just a thought that hit my head. Um, maybe it's not worth bringing up right now, but all the main white characters are nameless just father, brother, and all that, but all the lead people of color and immigrants are very specifically named and have, like, all this history. Do you think that is an intentional choice? If it's an intentional choice, it's kind of a bad one because it's basically... It's that those characters are audience inserts um, or or something like that, which implies that the audience has to be white. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> that's a fair point. I, I just have no idea what to do with that information and how to feel about it. There's a lot of things I, mean, I don't know how to feel about. It's a, it's a very, and I think that it's in the rest of the show too. It's a very like subconscious racism, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I, I, I would not doubt that the white characters are not named because the writers... Um, are expecting the audience to relate to them the most. <laughs> I agree. Um, describe the plot for us, Andrew. Yeah. Um, so you have a family, mother, father, um, and their um, and little brother. kid. And then little boy. Younger brother, younger brother is the mother's. Yes. So he's more of an uncle, sort of. But yeah, younger brother is the it mother's younger brother. It would have made sense if they were trying to put it from the point of view of the kid and it's like mother, father, uncle and they didn't do yeah. that. Because honestly, that confused me too because I, I initially, I thought that it was like the um, mother's son but I was like, this doesn't really make sense. <laughs> um, but no, no, it's her younger brother. So, younger brother is uncle kind of if you look at it that way. So, there's kind of three different plots. One of them is following that family. Um, there's another group of um, uh, African Americans is probably what they would call them in the show here. Uh, Cole House. I don't. I don't know what the proper terms are anymore. Um, <laughs> You're trying your best. I'm trying my best. I believe. Um, I believe black people is the preferred. Yes. Um, because With a that B. makes the most sense. Um, so uh, that's a uh, Cole House and uh, Sarah. Yes. Who are sort of a couple, although not necessarily at the beginning. Um, I would say that they are the f- primary couple in the musical theater sense, despite Cole House not even showing up until most of the way through Act One, which is weird. Yeah, but he has a very prominent role once he shows up. Yes. So, and especially in comparison to the movie where he is like the first co-lead. Yeah. Um, and then there is a one other. Um, I think it's a. I believe a Jewish immigrant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not entirely sure where from, but I assume somewhere in Europe. Yeah, um, I, I think they said he, y- Yiddish or Hebrew. So Israel. That sounds. I weird. don't. I'm not. I'm trying to remember back to the movie. I based on the setting. Latvia. I, it Latvia. It can't be Israel. 
Yeah, so um, because the time the time period it can't be it cannot be Israel. No, Republic of Latvia. Okay, and um, I am sorry if I'm gonna butcher the name here. It's it's uh, Teta or that's good Tata Tata. That sounds right. Um, um, and those are the three. And oh, and he has a a daughter who is not named. Um, so the three stories kind of intertwine um but i would say the main driving force story is that of uh cole house um and that's the one i'll probably get into the most here um sarah uh has a uh baby out of wedlock which of note the time period here is uh like 1910s um yeah early actually, 20th century Maybe actually probably 1900s because it's not it's like before even World War One was even like a consideration. Right. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, out of wedlock uh, and they're, um, you know, black people at this time. It's it's that's bad, you know, yeah. not a good situation to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, and she tries to leave it on the doorstep of this wasp family. Um, it actually depends which version you're watching as well. Really? In the, Broadway version, uh, it, the baby is partially buried in a garden. That's fucked up. Yeah, which I feel like they kind of tamed it down a bit for the more modern one where that's left on the doorstep. Yeah, because in the movie, it's left on the doorstep as well. Okay. So, the Broadway version, which was in 98, yeah, 97? And the revival um, Broadway version is in 2009. Yeah, so the original version... Um, it was buried in a, in the garden, and the the mother finds it, um, which is worse. <laughs> yeah, because uh, that that sort of implies a lot of things. Trying to trying to kill it, yeah, uh, well, kill kill him. Not not good, <laughs> not good. Um, but yes, found on the doorstep. We'll go with that. Um, the mother um, ends up sort of adopting the child and taking the mother in mm-hmm. um the mother was going to get arrested for doing that in the yes well and sarah was going to get arrested mother yeah is, that's gonna get confusing <laughs> yeah sarah was going to get arrested so mother takes in both of them and allows them to stay in their house while the father is gone yes and uh, notable he, difference from the movie which i will be doing a lot um the father is there the whole time and is basically this beta male like oh come on we, we don't want this it's like don Knotts is like what no 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 i'm the man and they're which, like uh, the thing is the father is kind of the unlikable character yeah. throughout the entire show so you kind of want that moment where he comes back and is like mean (laughs) exactly um and also it gives the mother a much more strong will to do the things that she's doing which i think she's one of the stronger you know characters outside of cole house and sarah um and then cole house um i think he was like a traveling musician and then he stopped being he stopped traveling so often so then he Mm -hmm. decides he wants to get back with sarah and he hears about the baby. Where Sarah's living. Um, he also buys a car. Um, Model T. Model T around this time. Um, and just driving around that around. Uh, and he starts playing piano at the uh, the like white family's uh, house. Yeah. Trying to uh, lure trying... Sarah back. Yes. Eventually the father shows back up and, and it's at one of the times where this is happening um, and the father is very upset and says some pretty uh, yikesy stuff, yeah. you know, like you would expect. He's a um, piece of shit. Yeah, he's a racist. You know, you can say it's 
product of the time or whatever, but obviously the mother wasn't as racist as that. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so, you know, um, he tries to break all that up, but the mother is uh, strong and, and says no. Uh, and Sarah comes back down and uh, Colehouse and Sarah get back together. While all this is happening, um, you have um, allusions to uh, Emma Goldman starting a strike movement and the younger brother getting involved with that, um, as well as um, Tata um, and the little girl having to flee from different uh, strikes because the uh, like police were beating on them and, and they were getting harassed by people. It was a bad situation, so they get on a train and go somewhere else. I think they go to Boston. Yeah, they get out of New um, York. Yeah. Um, and at a certain point, um, Cole House is stopped by um, some racist firefighters who um, uh, are pretending to have a, a toll that he has to pay. They're basically just harassing him yeah. because he's black, um, obviously. And so he goes to get the police and they trash his car, which, Take you know, a flat I, dump in his car. Yeah. And then they, I think they try to push it in the water or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Basically, they just destroy his car and he gets very upset and um, he wants uh, justice or whatever. Can't get I think it. He, yeah. He can't get it. Sarah decides that the president is in town and she's going to go talk to him. Yeah. And, um, and because of the. Um, Labor assassination attempt, uh, assassination attempt, which of course was done by one of the like labor movement people. See assassins um, for more details. Yes, um, which obviously was not a good move, but because of that, um, Sarah trying to talk to the president gets her uh, literally murdered by the Secret Service, um, and Colehouse um, basically gets mad, and that just sets up pretty much all of Act Two. Where basically all of Act Two is Cole House goes on a absolute rampage and just starts bombing places. Yep. And um, the White family has to move to Atlantic City. Um, the immigrant um, family becomes wealthy Filmmakers. doing movies. Yeah, and they meet in Atlantic City. I think they they meet the the mother. Mm-hmm. And they kind of hit it off. Eventually, the father goes back to deal with a hostage situation that Cole House and the younger brother have set up. Um, and the father goes in there and he like learns that racism is bad or something. He, 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 he's like, oh, racism is actually bad. And then Cole House walks out and dies. Um, and, and then the show ends. murdered, yes. Yeah. And then the show ends and the epilogue is just like, younger brother goes to Mexico mother marries the immigrant because yeah. father dies yeah um and and uh she keeps uh sarah and coleman's son and Colehouse. oh Colehouse, pardon me Colehouse's son and Colehouse and sarah look on from heaven and are like everything's good racism solved <laughs> um yeah that's that's a big issue like there's a good story here it's just the way they decide to make it resolve is bad. I would argue that some of the other stuff is bad as well. I think that the framing of the labor movement as almost just bad as a whole because it causes problems. Um, like what is nothing that the labor movement does in this is portrayed as a good thing. Um, it causes the immigrants to get harassed. It kills Sarah. <laughs> yeah. Like and then and then they're gone. Uh, like they, they don't even show up again after that. Um, 
and then of course uh, Cole House becoming like a, a political radical, which I think in his situation is actually relatively justified. Um, but it's framed as like really bad to the point where Booker T. Washington has to come out and be like, "You're making all the white people scared." Yep. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, all right, well, maybe the white people should be scared because the black people have been scared for quite a long time. Exactly. <laughs> I feel like that's... <laughs> I feel like this show views Cole House as a bad apple in the same way that they view the occasional rape racist as a bad apple. Well, yeah, because then the father character, he's kind of like, he represents almost the racist attitude. And I would argue to the point where in the epilogue they kill him um, and he's that represents like racism dying. Yes. Um, And it's like, it's just, it's not a good portrayal. Um, I don't like it. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I think that there's some fun stuff in the story and, you know, it's not unredeemable and I don't blame you if you like it or I'm not trying to say like, you enjoy something that's objectively really bad. Like, I'm just saying there's some problem stuff in here that I don't like. (laughs) There is. And there are some things about the original novel that I do want to bring up. Okay. So, um, uh, Tata eventually does um, go through a successful worker strike. But you know what? He becomes disillusioned when it seems that it changes very little about the workers' lives. Ah, yeah. Um, I don't know about what you know about the labor movement of the 1900s, but it actually changed quite a yes, lot about the workers' lives. Um, we would not have a five-day work week right now if it was not for that. Uh, we would probably be working in sweatshops still. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's... Child labor laws came out of that stuff, like... I don't know if you've heard about, like, um, you know, a a hanger factory. Um, Some things kind of happened with that, if you don't know. You know, they they literally used to lock their workers into buildings. And then when those buildings lit on fire, all of the workers would die. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, I don't know if we should be disparaging the labor movement as not effective. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of little things um, that bother me about this show. It's like a death by a hundred cuts. Yeah. I mean, okay. And part of it, I just, I feel like the political messaging is normally when we get into that, it's like a minor nitpick. Right. But it's a very, very major aspect of this show. Like, it's clearly what the show is about. This show is not about a love story. No. The show is about politics. A lot about <laughs> politics. Um, And... They have a whole song just praising Henry Ford. Yeah. Like just an entire song, just praising Henry Ford. Henry Ford, uh, who supported, like, the Nazis and Mussolini and yeah. abused his workers, like, horrifically. In the same show where they also highly criticize... Emma Goldman. Uh, Emma Goldman, who was in charge of, like, not in charge of, was a big part of the labor movement. They have an entire song just praising Henry Ford. I think it's... <laughs> I think a lot of this comes from the way that I described the show being created. It wasn't a driving force by one mind, the way that I think a lot of shows that work tend to be. Um, It was very much by committee, so it's like, it doesn't know what it wants to say about these things, despite it all coming from one novel. There's also a moment where the younger brother and the father speak, 
and the younger brother says uh, the line like you've traveled so far and you've learned nothing um, like referring to how the father is completely unwilling to look at the struggles of other people and so I feel like that almost is supposed to frame like the opposite of what the rest of the show is saying in a positive light but I feel like it's only able to do that because they already have the father as a representative of the bad person you know so it's like they're not actually it's not a systemic cr critique there it's more of one bad apple the, the bad person is getting critiqued you know and it's like that's not you can't do that <laughs> no and the thing is they go through most of act one to show you how bad cole house and sarah have it and how rough it is and how their existence is on trial every single day. And then by the second act, it's like, uh-oh, nope, you did it. You did it, anarchistic revolution. We don't want that. <laughs> I'm not even saying that the show needs to portray Cole House bombing random buildings. And they're not random, actually. He's bombing firehouses yes. because his, the firefighters were, were very racist to him. But I'm not even saying that they have to portray that in a positive light. I just would have liked to see i mean it's a one it's a fictional story so you don't even have to have him exactly. do that exactly um and two if you're gonna have him do that maybe don't have booker t washington come out at the end and scold him for his methods like in in like a patronizing and and uh like you're you're the reason racism still exists kind of way but is that a critique of booker t washington or a critique of the fictional character of cole house or yeah cole house See, I don't even know. I, one, I don't know enough about Bush, Booker T. Washington to say. And two, um, it's not shown in that way. It, it, I think you're supposed to see what Washington is saying as the rational point of view. To the point where he convinces Cole House and Cole House surrenders himself. Yeah. Well, was it him that convinced him or was it the father? Well, yeah, and, and basically the father can father and him combined convince him that, oh, violence is never the answer, like, we should just talk this out, but it's Which like- Which is bullshit. I, I, one, I, one, how should he have, should, could he have talked to the firefighters that destroyed his car for no reason other than the fact that they were horrible racists? Like, what, are you going to talk to everyone in society when all of society is structured against you? Like, what, what, were you going to talk it out? Like, this complete advocacy against any form of revolutionary action in a story, mind you, that takes place before the civil rights movement. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't really know what else to say on that. <laughs> and now we bring all this up because it's frustrating. Because I think as a play, as a piece of media... Uh, as a piece of art, this is very successful in everything it tries to do. I think the songs oh, are effective. I, mean, I think the visual staging is effective. I think the book by Terrence McNally is wonderful. I even think the characters are like relatable and good. Like I like Cole House as a character, which is why I feel like the ending it, it really um, it stinks a lot. It feels like they're taking away from that. I think that there, there is a lot going for this. But good lord, the messaging. We didn't even talk about the immigrant thing because good lord, one, they're disparaging the labor movement, but then they also have a storyline of like a rags to riches thing. Which, yeah. Mm, oh, as long as God, you're the, white passing oh. in America, you can achieve great things. Oh, if you just work really hard. Well, who needs a labor movement? Just work hard. Like, look at this guy. He's a success. Okay. This was the thing that bothered me. I at least in the musical, they show him struggling a lot. 
Okay. It's true. It's true. That is at least true. In the movie, like he gets off, we open with him doing the silhouette pictures. His wife gets found cheating on him and she's played by Fran Drescher. She's in there for like one scene and then disappears. What? <laughs> I don't even think we mention a wife aside from the fact that she's dead or to tell people that she's dead. Yeah, I would have, I... I don't even know if they mentioned it. I just kind of assumed that she was. But no, apparently she was a cheating person. He's like, he's Mandy Patinkin in the movie, where even when I watch the musical, I'm like, he gives me Mandy Patinkin vibes. That's why. (laughs) Um, Okay. And he storms off to America first day off. He's like, I made this flip book. And they're like, hey, we're going to give you a bunch of money for this. And he's like, oh, great. Next time we see him, he's a movie star. Good lord. So they literally do the thing where he shows up in America and he's yes. instantly, instantly American dreamed. Yes. <laughs> he lives the life of the guy, the engineer from Miss Saigon. They at least have something in here where um, the he's shown as not being instantly successful in America didn't instantly make him a success. Uh, they even have a part where Emma Goldman talks to him and I want to point out I rewatched that scene on the Broadway version because I watched the revival first. Mm-hmm. And you remember I said in the revival version, they at least have a cool, like a good line where she says work is politics and then she donates uh, money to him to help his child. Yeah. In the Broadway version, he just yells at her and says <laughs> to go away. <laughs> Amazing how development has changed on that show. <laughs> uh- I, how do you think this show handles its figures, its real life figures like Houdini? Houdini, I feel like they did fine because, I mean, what is there to say about Houdini? He's an entertainer. I mean, I'm sure he's a very interesting person, but they don't like do that much with him. Mm-hmm. I like that they have the, the little plot with the boy, which is a little weird and I'm not sure what they're trying for other than just a joke about Houdini. You know how the little boy is like psychic or or can tell the future for some reason i don't know what that's about but it's a funny thing to do with houdini i guess i would probably cut it but it's not bad (laughs) i don't see why we need houdini in the story to be honest no no. i think that's a very easily cuttable thing speaking of easily cuttable let's talk about evelyn nesbitt you, oh yeah does that even ring true to you at all the, the that... only thing that i think she's good for is giving the younger brother a reason to look for something else mm-hmm. to like fulfill himself but you don't even really need that <laughs> no i i like her song about being the girl on the swing and like the idea that this would be the murder that defines the 20th century despite it being 94 years left to go like there's yeah. a lot of good lines about it um yeah in the film, she's basically the main character. <laughs> You're going to have to, like, explain how that even... She shows up literally twice. Yeah, um, so we open <laughs> with the her... It wasn't an affair like it was in the musical. It was because a naked statue of her was getting erected somewhere, and then the husband goes and kills... Like, we see all of that. We see, like, the husband go to kill her. She speaks in court and says that, oh, no, he was... He attacked me and all that. And she's a big part of that, especially with like the little brother and he was played by Brad Dourif, who is Chucky in the movie. Oh. Yeah. He's good. Okay. He's very good in the movie. He's a very underrated actor for one. Um, and she's like a point of view character. Like she runs into Tata and all of them. Like she is 
Cole House and her are like co-lead characters in that movie, which is why that movie doesn't work. I'm already trying to figure out how that would even work because there's like three different stories already here without having her be one of the leads. Well, she's one of the few people that kind of interacts with everyone. Yeah, but she interacts with everyone like barely. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, whatever. The movie sounds awful. The the movie isn't... (laughs) the worst thing i've ever seen but um it's not great either i mean there are moments in there that i like like i like debbie allen as sarah in the movie because she's given a lot more to do where in the musical she has one pretty song then is murdered she doesn't get barely any lines in all of act all the sarah is time hardly even in it yeah which is why I kind of was like, oh, okay, Debbie Allen's playing Sarah. She's very good. She's performing her ass off in that movie, I will admit. Um, it's, it's tiny, tiny things that I think are interesting, but oh, a satisfying whole it does not make. Despite it not being a musical, it is, I think, a little longer than the uh, the new 2009 Broadway version. It's like two hours and 45 minutes. Jesus, that is long. It is. <laughs> and it's not, it feels like the pacing of love actually rather than a natural kind of cohesion between the stories it's just like all right we're done there we're gonna cut to here for a bit then we're gonna cut to here for a bit where at the end of every part of the musical it feels like that thing we just saw led into the next thing we're seeing very very seamlessly i feel like the musical emphasizes the more important aspects of each story yes to a good extent, which is why I feel like the immigrant story is like barely there and the Cole House story is such a huge aspect of the show because those are just the most important parts. I agree. If, if, I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, but then again, I, I like a lot of the songs given to the immigrants. Like, I think they have some of the prettier sounding songs. Yeah. It's, well, I mean, having good songs and having a large part of the story don't have to intertwine. No, but I mean, it's a conflict for me personally. Look at King Herod. He has the best oh, song. He's only you. in it for- <laughs> <laughs> You know what? No one cares what we have to say. How about we compare our opinions to that of the New York theater critics when this show first came out? It's time for previews. It's time for previews. It's time for previews. All right, Andrew, what have we got? What have we got today? Mm, ben Brantley. Ben ben Brantley. <laughs> All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this in a normal voice because it feels like he might try here. Yeah, he might try. Let's see what he did. So this is the original production. Uh, ben Brantley of the New York Times said of the original Broadway production, blessed with beauty, ambition, a smashing wardrobe, and a social conscience, Ragtime would seem to be the kind of musical that brings Broadway audiences to their knees in adoration. Then why does this $10 million show, which opened last night at the new Ford Center for the Performing Arts, feel so utterly resistible? That That's like the most backhanded way to start a review I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, he's basically saying this has everything. Why don't I bad. like it? Yeah. Although I'm, I don't know. I'm kind of feeling that. <laughs> Although I feel like I'm able to put, I'm able to tell, say why, but I don't know. I feel like Ben Brantley's probably going to say like something like, I just didn't feel anything for these characters and all that. There's too many people to care about, which I disagree I don't, with. Yeah, I don't agree with that. I disagree with what they're trying to sell me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, keep reading. 
sitting through this heavily publicized adaptation of E.L. Doctoro. Doctoro's 1975 novel about the turn of the century growing pains is like meeting someone on the basis of a promising Lonely Hearts ad. This is just the same thing he just said. Yeah. It's not that your date doesn't match the adjectives from the glamorous self-description, but face to face you discover there's no chemistry. This is literally the same set, the same as the first paragraph. Yeah, He's just but saying he wanted to talk about a dating profile. He's just saying I wanted to like it, but I didn't. Um, okay. Despite its bemused ironic tone, what came across most piercingly in Mr. Doctorow's novel was the vertigo of a world whose bottom was falling out of the exciting danger of the shaking of class and sexual mores. 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 But this sanitized ragtime has no place for sex, even even turning Nesbitt from a disturbing erotic presence into a harmless Marilyn Monroe-like cartoon. This is his critique? I, I think he's comparing it too much to the movie. So, Evelyn Nesbitt in the movie, um, very well acted, um, very well portrayed um there is a scene where she and brad Dourif are like having an argument she just drops her clothes she's like oh no i'm naked now then they start making out and then lawyers come into the room and are like all right we caught you doing adultery so now you have you you're gonna be divorced now and here's twenty five thousand dollars and get out and she just has this entire like debate while still standing there butt ass naked for the okay. entire scene it feels very male gazy very objectified but it, it also feels extremely pointless when you consider what the show is actually about. I mean, that's... Uh, <laughs> but that shows you the kind of character Evelyn Nesbitt was in the film, which was so far the American consciousness version of Ragtime at this yeah, point. Yeah, but Nesbitt was in the musical for two scenes. When was she supposed Apparently, to do this? Apparently, she was supposed to be like this sexy figure, and Ben Brantley was like, why you turn her into Marilyn Monroe? Why, why you gotta take away the tits? It seems significant that Sigmund Freud, one of the characters in the novel, has been eliminated from the musical. This is the show without a subconscious, a parade that never strays from the well-paved surface of Main Street. I, this is a terrible critique. Yeah. I, <laughs> this is an awful critique. We're back, has, back to old Ben Brantley. What, your, your, your issue is that there's no sex in the show? Who gives a shit? Like, what? That's really not what this story was about. What? <laughs> Like, oh, like, what, did you want Cole House to be, uh, like, shirtless while he was blowing up all the uh, buildings? Like, like, wh like wh what is, what? Like, <laughs> what about this show is, like, man, we need more sex. I, this is intentionally, like, if there were sex in it, it would feel out of place. It would have been really good, I think, if Sigmund Freud just showed up with a cigar and was just like, uh, you know, I think that you want to have sex with your mom. Uh, yuck, that, yuck, yuck, This is This adds a lot to the show. <laughs> this is the, this is a, I think that he watched it one time, he didn't like it, and he couldn't think of why, so the first thing that came to his head was, well, there was like more nudity and stuff in the movie. <laughs> I, I can't disagree. I think this is an actually very bad review. I don't think he explains himself in any way that's effective no i mean and if as someone who hasn't seen it like what would you get out of this this isn't telling you why you won't like the thing it's just saying like oh there's no sex so you won't like it yeah it's very middling um like i feel like they explain his opinion on it like i wanted to like it but didn't but he doesn't give an explanation for why well i mean his explanation for why 
is that there's no sex in it. Mm. I mean, literally, he has two paragraphs here explaining that he wanted to like it but didn't, and then two paragraphs saying that there was no sex. <laughs> yeah. Um, ben, I mean, once again, I don't post the full reviews. I post just segments that I think are, like, the main points because I don't really need you to read all the actors, and I don't want to go into actor reviews of, like, I mean, this actor did if, good, this actor did bad. If you have distilled the main critiques that he yes. has in the show, then I feel like that is what he's saying, essentially. That is basically what he's saying, and except for, like, you know, Brian Stokes Mitchell did great, Audrey McDonald was great when she was on stage, but barely there, you know. Do we agree with Ben Brantley's review? No. <laughs> no, I don't. I have my own reservations, my, too. I gave my own critiques of the show. None of them are that there's not enough sex or that it was like a dating profile. I, <laughs> it was like a dating profile. I didn't want to fuck her. And honestly, I feel like this feels a bit harsh because I don't think the show is bland. No. He's kind of describing it in a way that makes it sound like it's, like, very bland. I actually think the show has a lot going for it in, like, entertainment factor. Let's talk about what this played against at the Tonys that year. Um, what it lost to for Best Musical, um, which was Julie Taymor's The Lion King and the Disney that's a, Invasion. That's a pretty tough one. That's a pretty tough one to beat. I'm going to be yeah. real. Yeah. Um, but it's two very different shows that are two very distinctive audiences and i can see someone coming from lion king being like oh let's check out ragtime and just being like the emotional whiplash i mean yeah the lion king is like extremely like how would i even say it it's like milk toast in in like everything it does whereas Revel this is like edgy and <laughs> i would say lion king is revolutionary on a visual level this is revolutionary on a story level yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> For Broadway. Let me, let me add that caveat. I think that this does a lot of things very well, and I think that it, if you really like it, I, I sort get of it. get it. I don't know if I understand it being your very favorite, because if you like shows about like politics like this, have you seen Les Mis? My God. <laughs> Les Mis feels like a less nuanced version of this, to be honest. Yeah, but it's like better. <laughs> I don't know if better is the right word. I think it's just it different. Is. It's, it's, I mean, come on. I mean, hang on a second. It's better. <laughs> I don't like being ambiguous, okay? The thing is, all right, we haven't even talked about the composers yet, and we will a little more in the song section, which will be coming, but probably shorter than usual. Um, We've only done a couple other musicals by um, Flattery. Oh, God, I want to get their names wrong because... I don't say them very often. Aaron's and Flattery. Um, they did Once on This Island. Um, and Aaron's did... The, I remember that being very good. It was very, very good. Um, Aaron's did the lyrics to the Christmas Carol musical that we both like, the one with Kelsey Grammer done by Alan Menken. Yes, yeah. Um, and then they also did Susical right after this and Anastasia. Have not, I've not seen and I... Anastasia the movie? They did both the movie and they revised it for the stage show. Okay, I've heard some of the songs from that, and they're they're pretty decent. They're very good. I'm very I'm very excited to cover Anastasia soon because I think that musical is pretty good. And Terrence McNally, who did this, also came back to write the book for Anastasia. I feel like they did a decent job here. I would have liked to hear more ragtime influence in a lot of songs, but I feel like they went for a more traditional musical um, side, musical style. And I mean, I'm not 
they did it well you know like it's it's sounds like a traditional good musical mm-hmm. um how about we talk about those songs after this break well, let's do it Andrew, do you got any New Year's resolutions? Well, I've been trying to bulk up a little bit. I think I might be hitting the gym. I don't know. What about you? I just know for a fact, or there's only one place you should be looking at to get a high-protein, good-calorie diet, and that's Factor. Factor's ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning and sets you up for success in the new year. Skip the grocery stores, the prep work, and the cooking fatigue. Instead, get chef-crafted, dietitian-approved meals delivered where, Andrew? Right to your door. With over 35 meals to choose from per week, including options like keto, calorie smart, vegan plus, veggie, and of course, protein first, which is just what you're looking for, right, Andrew? Oh, absolutely, and I really appreciate how you forced the pun in even more this month than the last one. Well, I don't know if there's any facts or fiction here, but it sounds like we got a lot coming up. Um, Forget the frantic lunch preps and rush dinners. Factor's two-minute meals are your secret weapon in the new year. Fuel up with fast restaurant-quality meals, all delivered, where, Andrew? Right to your door. Uh, To my door, absolutely, yep. I mean, that is where I want them. But it's not just, like, quick and easy solutions. They're also a great special occasion meal. I know you and your girlfriend don't go out to restaurants as much. Imagine having just a restaurant coming to you and you having date night right at home. You know, she'd really appreciate that once in a while, I think. But not only do they offer fast, simple solutions when you're too busy to cook, they will also help you stay on top of those goals to bulk up, Andrew. With offerings like Protein Plus and Keto, you can stay on track. And you know what? That's going to get pretty handy in your New Year goals. Am I right, Andrew? You know, it is sounding pretty good, but where would I go to get this? Well, you would head to factormeals.com slash musicals50 and use code musicals50 to get 50% off. That code, musicals50, at factorsmeal.com slash musicals50 to get 50% off. I mean, by the end of this year, thanks to Factor, you're going to be ripped. You're going to be looking like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. They're going to call him Dwayne the Pebble Johnson next to you. (laughs) Oh, I can't wait for that. Maybe I'll get to be in Moana 2. You'll you'll be in Moana 3 and 4, thanks to Factor. (laughs) So go to factormeals.com, kids, and get your 50% off deal. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt you in the middle of the show, but we've got a shill at you. Um, Andrew, tell them a little bit about Patreon. Patreon is where you can go if you'd like to donate some money to us um, to help us pay everyone that helps us with the show. Mm-hmm. Including um, Bree also, and our editors. Yes. Also... You get extra content. I mean, we put up commentaries once in a while. We put up um, the video versions of all of our episodes with, you know, uncut stuff. So, you can see things that we didn't want you to see. Um, 
which happens quite often. It really does. Thank you, Brie, for existing. Um, also, you get like uh, weekly whatever the fucks where me and Liz just do whatever we want. That's yeah. fun. So, yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff. We also have the Patreon meetups. Um, once a month. Which are very fun once a month. Mm-hmm. Um, but our current patrons are Melissa Goldman, Terry Needleman, John Donna, Leighton Ackles, Danielle Renix, Jess the Stampede, Ewan Cassidy, Taskir, Fire September, Monica Thoreau, Mina Maniri, Brent Black, Haley Murray, Nathaniel, Stacey Coombe, Joseph Evans Green, Carrie Ahern. Mary Lou Choquette, John Vanals, Russ Walker, Musical Hell, Emily Gracie to Blam, Kyle Summers, Janae C, Scoot in the Technicolor Dreamcoat, Felice A, Liz Lim, Allison Stuller, Nothing is Certain Except Beth and Taxes, John Vanals, Thesbian, Ren Cullen, Wait in the Wings, Jacob Stroop, Rafael Martinez Salaz, Robert Benjamin, Rachel T, Janice, Jessica T, Genevieve Hartnett, Cass, Mitchell Young, Chai Teacup, Katie McDonough, Timothy Keys, Jeffrey Machado, Tenvin Usen, um, Chris Marcote, Katie Turberg, Tommy Moo Robinson, Kiji Marie Anastasio, Leila, RJ Norija, Sebastian Canino, Cinemageddon Reviews, Avon Regan, Lizzie Keynes, Charlie B, Patrick Deering, Julia McLennan, Courtney Schreiner, Joe, Avery Brinson, Mary Lynn Brown, and Mel Cormick. They all give us a little extra financial support that helps us keep the lights on here at Musicals of Cheese. If you'd like to join them in supporting us and get tons of fun perks, such as patron-only commentaries and a bunch of other shit, come join us over at Patreon. All right, Andrew, do, should we should we, should we, should we talk about merch? Yeah, we could talk a little bit about merch. Buy our shit. Just go to musicalsofcheese.com and click the merch button. Buy that. Merch. Buy that. Merch. All right, that's it. <laughs> all righty. Let's go. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, Andrew. Do you got any New Year's resolutions? Well, I've been trying to bulk up a little bit. I think I might be hitting the gym. I don't know. What about you? I just know for a fact, or there's only one place you should be looking at to get a high-protein, good-calorie diet, and that's Factor. Factor's ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning and sets you up for success in the new year. Skip the grocery stores, the prep work, and the cooking fatigue. Instead, get chef-crafted, dietitian-approved meals delivered where, Andrew? Right to your door. With over 35 meals to choose from per week, including options like keto, calorie smart, vegan plus, veggie, and of course, protein first, which is just what you're looking for, right, Andrew? Oh, absolutely. And I really appreciate how you forced the pun in even more this month than the last one. Well, I don't know if there's any facts or fiction here, but it sounds like we got a lot coming up. Um, Forget the frantic lunch preps and rush dinners. Factor's two-minute meals are your secret weapon in the New York. Fuel up with fast, restaurant-quality meals, all delivered, where, Andrew? Right to your door. Uh, To my door, absolutely, yep. I mean, that is where I want them. 
but it's not just like quick and easy solutions. They're also a great special occasion meal. I know you and your girlfriend don't go out to restaurants as much. Imagine having just a restaurant coming to you and you having date night right at home. You know, she'd really appreciate that once in a while, I think. But not only do they offer fast, simple solutions when you're too busy to cook, they will also help you stay on top of those goals to bulk up, Andrew. With offerings like Protein Plus and Keto, you can stay on track. And you know what? That's going to get pretty handy in your New Year goals. Am I right, Andrew? You know, it is sounding pretty good, but where would I go to get this? Well, you would head to Factormeals.com Musicals50 and use code Musicals50 to get 50% off. That code, Musicals50, at Factorsmeal.com Musicals50 to get 50% off. I mean, by the end of this year, thanks to Factor, you're going to be ripped. You're going to be looking like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. They're going to call him B- Dwayne The Pebble Johnson next to you. <laughs> oh, I can't wait for that. Maybe I'll get to be in Moana 2. You'll, you'll be in Moana 3 and 4, thanks to Factor. <laughs> so, go to factormeals.com, kids, and get your 50% off deal. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The skies were blue and hazy. Rarely a storm, barely a chill. What do you think of the prologue opening number? Um, so I, I honestly, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about it. They do the prologue and it's similar to how they do the epilogue as well, where they like introduce everything and they introduce the setting, but it's in a very like um, narrated sort of way. Um, am I remembering this correctly? The the prologue, they have, do they have the younger uh, kid introduce it or is that just the epilogue? No, it's the prologue. He comes okay. out and he's so like, in 1902, well. father built a house on the crest of Broadview. Okay, I just wanted to make sure I was remembering that correctly. I know he does, I know for a fact he does the epilogue, I just wasn't entirely certain. Yeah, I get that there's a ton of characters to introduce and that you have to get all the setting and everything done. I feel like there might have been a better way to do it though. Yeah, but we also introduce like the celebrities, the Booker T. Rot Washingtons, the Houdinis and all of that. Yeah, which I think is fine. I think, honestly... I feel like the show might be better without any of the celebrities that they have, like the real historical figures, because it just seems like a weird historical fiction kind of thing going Mm -hmm. on. And most of them don't really play a major role. Um, But if you're going to do it, introduce them at the beginning. (laughs) 
I do I like know. what I do like it when we do actually get to like the chorus of it. I think the lyrics are very good when we're not just introducing people where it's like, and there was music playing, catching a nation in its prime, beggar and millionaire, oh, yeah. everyone everywhere moving to ragtime. Like it kind of tries to make a justification for why the title is the title. It does. And I do like the song. And I think a lot of the songs here are very listenable and good. Um, it's just this prologue, they add in all of that dialogue in between everything, which just feels a little unnecessary. I mean, it's necessary in the same way it's necessary in Great Comet, where you kind of need to... It is a lot to process, and you kind of need someone to hold your hand through it all. Maybe my issue is that they have a little kid do it. Maybe. You just don't tend to like kids. True. And they have that little kid be like this weird future teller thing, which I'm not a huge fan of. That's mostly just a joke for Houdini. It is mostly just a joke for Houdini, but it's also a weird joke because if you're supposed to take it literally, like, he can actually tell the future. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's a little bizarre. What to do? I almost feel like <laughs> the song um, Journey On feels just as much like an opening number as the prologue does. You depart on a ship from a country like this. Why on earth would you want to be leaving? Was it something you lost that you suddenly miss? Are you angry or possibly grieving? Do you see in my face what you've lost, sir? Are you moved by the death ship we sail upon? Well, perhaps you're a man who's in search of his heart. Journey on. I was going to say that as well, because that also introduces, if if they could somehow have that introduce Sarah or Cole House, We'd be, that would have been perfect. Yes. Sadly, they weren't able to do that because only two of the characters get to go on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you could have him like, you know, wooing her with ragtime music and he's playing her the song that also happens to be the song that they're singing. Yeah, I think that they could have done that. Um, I still want the prologue music where we kind of introduce the idea of where we are in the location and then we kind of transfer into Journey On. Yeah, I just, they could have cut down a little bit on the, the prologue. Um, yeah, Journey On is a great song. I really like the uh, having one boat going out and another boat coming in kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that's fun. And the immigrant um, ideals of like, why would they be leaving the idiots? Don't they know they're in America? Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, it's very idealistic, but a lot of them have that mindset coming to America. Mm -hmm, Until they get here. Which, if anything about this musical, I'm glad they kept in how hard his struggle was at first and how... Well, I mean, let's in real life, and this is fiction, in real life, he would have shown up and instantly was handed a billion dollars. You know, that's how it works when you get to America. Especially, yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially if you're coming from Mexico. Yeah, you just instantly you're handed $800 billion. 
This is what conservatives actually believe, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> to start their life. Yeah, refugees come in and instantly, you know, here you go, 800 million. Uh, mm-hmm. um, then you've got a bunch of, like, introduction songs. Um, but the next big song that I think is very, very effective and probably my favorite song in the show is Your Daddy's Son by Sarah. Daddy played piano, played it very well. Music from those hands could catch you like a spell. He could make you love him, for the tune was done. You have your daddy's hands. You You just like this one because you like Sarah. I like Sarah, of course. Um, I love Audra McDonald, who did it originally and won a Tony for the role. And in mm-hmm. one song, she really has to kind of make you fall in love with her because she really isn't given any dialogue with any other actors. Yeah. They, like, she She's like in an attic for most of it where she doesn't yeah. interact with anyone. And then by the time she does come down, she's dead in like two scenes. <laughs> Um, and it's just such a haunting, very, very haunting melody. And the lyrics are just like, you know, you you have your daddy's hands, so you must be your daddy's son. Yeah. I think that it's great. And I feel like it w- the show might even be better if she just got a few more numbers. If she was more of a main character than the little boy or the, you know, the mama. Just get rid of the little boy. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> or even the, like, brother. I mean, we kind of diminished the, the, the younger brother a lot, but he could be diminished a little more. I I almost like his character, but I kind of just don't. I feel like he's supposed to be, like, misguided. Right. And that's what I don't like about his character. <laughs> I will say, he's like, in the movie they, they, movie, they make him basically the moral compass. <laughs> really? Yeah, like, there's a scene where the father's telling Sarah... Um, like, there's nothing we can do legally. Uh, I just met with my lawyers. And he's like, no, you met with your lawyers. They said it would be hard. They didn't say there was nothing they could do. And he has a lot of little moments like that where he's just like, I am the right opinion in this room. Yeah. I mean, I would say generally he is the right opinion in, in the show, though. Yes. Except for, <laughs> you know, trying to make love with Marilyn Monroe. Well, yeah, but that was before he became the right opinion. Right. Um, and honestly, was he even that wrong? <laughs> You're just young and stupid. Um, but I think um, your your daddy's son is probably the most effective song, aside from maybe one other that we'll get to later. Okay. Um, probably my favorite female solo from this. Yeah. No, it's very good. Is there even... I'm trying to think of other female solos that aren't um, better, mother. Or back to before. Yeah, it's just mother. Yeah. She gets everything else. Which is also a very good song. <laughs> but then yeah. there's like little moments that I just don't love, but we'll talk about that later. Things I forgot about. Like the baseball scene. Yeah, the baseball scene. So I kind of get it, but yeah, it's not good. <laughs> um, so let's talk about Wheels of a Dream, um, which was um, Sarah and Cole House's big romantic number that basically damns them from that moment first. Yeah. We'll go 
song this song is great feels a little manipulative <laughs> manipulative like they're trying to get the audience to really care or manipulative like this is the death nail <laughs> like oh I, they're happy it's over yeah <laughs> I, I, this is basically the piano hanging over the heads of these characters <laughs> where i'm like everything's a little too happy here um i can understand it and yeah it's like they have this like idealized like picnic i think for this song or am i thinking of something different like it's the idealist i mean it may just be because they're in what is this early 1900s and they're like man our boys got such a promising future ahead of them and i'm like oh no oh no do he though (laughs) (laughs) and they like make the metaphors about like he's got a beautiful car on an open road of his lifetime with promise and happiness Look, it's all a metaphor because that beautiful car on the open road is going to get dead stopped by uh, some White firefighters. Men. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I- I'd like to see, um, um, what's his name? Um, Mr. Rosewater from <laughs> Elliot Rosewater come in and be like, God bless the volunteer fire brigade after watching this shit. Yeah, I know. He wouldn't be able to. Um, and oh, the, boy. The most powerful scene... Um, which I love it to death. It breaks my heart. Great staging is till we reach that day. I wish it was sung by someone that wasn't just called Sarah's friend. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand who that was supposed to be. Sarah's friend. (laughs) She doesn't even show up in the whole rest of it. Sarah's friend, Andrew. Um, which is another way of saying Sarah's understudy. They should have just had Sarah sing it. From the grave, yeah. Yeah, like, why not? <laughs> it's a theater. You could get away with that. They literally show them... In heaven. In heaven, at, in the epilogue. Like, we can't do it at the end of Act 1? <laughs> I don't know. I would have been fine with it. I think I think the staging with her, like, just laid out of, on flowers and all that, it's so good and a great way to end an act. Like, a really devastating way to end an act if... Um, it makes you want to see what's going to happen next. Oh, and boy, does Act 2 deliver. No, no. Yeah, I guess. Is there any really good songs in Act 2? Act 2 is extremely story-driven, and I feel like the songs suffer for it. I do love Back to Before, which is the 11 o'clock number, if there is one, 
where Mother sings about like how nothing will ever go back to what it is, and it's a great moment. Back to Before is a great song. I wish... I don't know. I don't really have any negative comments. That's just the last good song in the show. There was a time my feet were so solidly planted You'd sail away while I turned my back to the sea I was content, a princess asleep and enchanted If I had dreams, then I let you dream them for me Back in the days when everything seemed so much clearer Women in white who knew what their lives held in store Where are they now, those women who stared from the mirror? We can never go back to before. I think that song is what the what the story is supposed to be about. Right. Like how you're supposed to feel is, is supposed to be like, oh, look at all the stuff that's happened. We can never really go back, you know? Yeah. It's supposed to be the careful of things you say, children listening to your message. What did we learn today, kids? Yeah. Um Then the epilogue shits all over that, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, I don't think it. I don't think the epilogue ruins that message. The epilogue just has a different message that's worse. Yes, yeah. I see his face. I hear his heartbeat. I look in those eyes. Like the, that message is still there. It's just really diminished. so. There's there's, uh, there's like two messages. One message is you can never go back, and then the other message is how do we go forward? And their answer to the how do we go forward message is dog shit. Yeah, <laughs> we solved racism because one person adopted a little black boy. Yeah, it's oh god. Can we just talk about the epilogue? I feel like we we've, we've all like yours. hinted at everything we hate about it, but we've talk never actually it. said what, what happens. happens. The epilogue shows up and it's like how long it's a long epilogue. It's like yeah. it's decently long and they go through what happens to all the characters. The younger brother goes and fights for the uh Zapatos um or Zapatistas, I forget what they call them, um in Mexico. Mm-hmm. The um the father dies on the the litho uh what is it? The Lith- Lithuania? Lithuania? The, the sister ship to the Titanic. Yeah. He dies on that. Um, um, the mother marries the uh, immigrant to Teta. Yeah. And adopts they, his daughter. Yeah. And now it's like a big, happy, multicultural uh, family, which is good. I'm not saying that's bad. It's just that doesn't solve everything. Yeah. And, and, uh, what they're trying to say with it is, is what I don't like. Um, um, 
and Cole House and Sarah look down from heaven and are, are happy that their their little boy is being put in good hands. Um, a little too happy. Like it. It's very like it's overly happy, um, and I don't I don't like it. <laughs> um, the big takeaway that I feel like you're supposed to get that is like supposed to warm your heart is like the mother's family, but it's almost framed because of what it what precedes it. It's framed as though this is the real solution. White like people this is save what save the day. This is what Booker T. Washington really wanted. You know, like like that. That's kind of like what they're they're framing it as, and I hate that. Holy shit! <laughs> I agree. It's bad. Um, do you have anything to say on this? <laughs> no, no, you you said I, I just like listening to you. To be honest, like I think that was a very good description of what happened. Um, also, I just feel like it kind of wraps up a little too quickly. I know you say it's a very long epilogue, but it kind of it's like all right, loose ends. Let's get them all up and goodbye. Get out. Yeah, I mean, if I'm being honest, I almost feel like Cole House dying is the better ending. <laughs> Like, just, he gets gunned down. Leave. Yeah, I, I feel like <laughs> that, and then everyone's, like, trying to pick up the pieces of their life after that. And it's framed more like that, rather than, and everyone found their way. I don't like, I don't like father dying, um, because father is, like, the embodiment of bad stuff in the show. Right. He's, like, the, he's the, he's the past. He's, like, in the movie, old he school does not racism. Die. Um, well, that's good in, in the movie, I he guess. He just gets but... cucked by his wife who goes off with Mandy Patinkin. Good. Uh, <laughs> but having him die kind of gives this, like, conclusive feeling of, like, oh, uh, well, you know, the last bad person is now gone. Um, and then having the more radical elements of the show, uh, Emma Goldman and the younger brother, both just leave mm -hmm. like they're just they they both emma goldman is said to have been deported which i think is true and the younger brother goes to mexico so it's like okay well the radical stuff is gone so now everything's good you know it's like booker t that, washington's life can go back to normal who's like booker t washington i barely know this person who is that i'm sorry we're I'm bad. really sorry. I should have researched. He's an educator, author, orator, and advisor to several presidents of the United States between 1890 and 1915. That's good. That's great. <laughs> I I don't know much about that. He person. was a contemporary black elite. That yeah, yeah that's good. Um, I feel like he's he also developed not, the Tuskegee Institute. I feel like he's not very well represented in the show because I honestly watching this, you don't even know who he is. Right. <laughs> All, all you know is that he condemns any form of, any form of uh, like violence, political violence, uh, which you know a lot of people do. All right, I'm I'm done rambling about politics. I feel like I've done that way too much this episode. Well, this is an episode to do it for, do it during. But it's not like it's too true. many people want to hear two white men's opinion on race relations within ragtime. I. Honestly, I don't think the race race relations were even that poorly done. No. I, they don't they don't shy away from how horrific it was back then. How frank it was. I will say I mean, they do shy away in in some aspects in that they don't yeah. show it on a wider scale. No, um, it's always interpersonal. They never show it affecting Colehouse on a like systemic sort of like no. he doesn't have trouble finding work. He doesn't, you know, it, it's never anything like that. 
it's always interpersonal um, racism, which is a bad representation. Right. Um, and they don't use the N-word that much in the musical. And I only bring that up because they use it a lot in the movie. I'm of two minds on that. Because <sighs> on one hand, it's inaccurate to have them not use it that often, I feel. But on the other hand, I don't want to hear people say it. I don't want to hear that in a musical. So I think replacing it with lesser language that still portrays the same sentiment is fine with me. I agree. <laughs> and that's kind of one of my biggest issues with Parade. Um, a musical basically about white people with some African-American people involved. Um, they use the N-word a lot in that <laughs> musical, the original version. And in more recent versions, they got rid of that because that was a bad bad idea. And I think maybe you should keep going that direction for things like this. It's just, unless you have a really, really good yes. message, you shouldn't do that. And I think this show thinks it has a really, really good message. But I feel like if you look even a little bit deeper, it doesn't really. <laughs> and that's the whole, that's everything I had to say this episode. So, there you go. <laughs> Andrew, what is your overall thoughts on Ragtime and your cheese rating? Oh, man. So, Ragtime, it's like, um, it's like a dating profile that looks really good. But then when you go to, like, on the date, it, you just, you, you don't get along. Fuck you. <laughs> you didn't catch that. You didn't catch it. Oh, man. <laughs> I was too busy looking up my cheese rating, and then I put together the words coming out of your mouth. <laughs> oh, I hate you so much sometimes. Okay, no. I think Ragtime is entertaining, and it has a lot going for it. I am just a big old nitpicker who has a... You just did the wall review thing. I did. I did. <laughs> literally just did it. You spent an hour and 11 minutes shitting on this thing, and then you're like, oh, yep. it's pretty good. You know, it had some interesting songs and some cool ideas. It's In this case, though, it's true, because <laughs> I'm going to say I, a lot of the things that I'm talking about, no one is going to give a shit. Right. So, like, a lot of the stuff that I'm saying is like... I'm thinking about it more than I probably should. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not trying to say I'm a big boy smart brain because I had critiques. Other people have critiques too. Yeah, um, it's, some people say it's like a date and they just don't yeah. work well in person. It was fine. It was fine. Ragtime. If it's your favorite though, maybe maybe watch it a little more critically. I don't know. <laughs> What's your cheese rating? Oh, good lord. I... Hmm. I don't actually know what I want to give it for a cheese rating. Uh, can, can I research a little bit and then come back? Yeah, um, I will go. Ragtime okay. is a musical I appreciate more than I love, if that makes sense. Like, there are songs in here that I love a, a lot. And I even texted Andrew when I was like 75% done with it. Um, that I think I love this. And then that ending happened, and it was like, um, should I go with the vo the horrible description I was gonna... Yeah, I'm not gonna do the horrible thing I was gonna say. Um, but it's like if you were getting something that felt really good, and then someone just dug their nails into you right when you were about to, you know, feel really good. And you don't want that. Um, 
So the only cheese rating I can give it is a Philly cheesesteak from the Ragtime restaurant just outside of Washington, D.C. Okay. I'm going to give it a, um, I'm going to give it like a cheese platter, um, but it's got a lot of different types of cheeses, but they're all kind of uh, lackluster. And that's that's kind of my my thought. So it's like a bunch of like mediocre cheeses that you bought at the supermarket and you put them on a platter. But there's a f- couple really good ones on there, but you kind of got. No, I mean, none of them really, none of them really taste bad. It's just once you've eaten the whole platter, you're like, wait, diarrhea. Could have eaten, <laughs> eaten something better. <laughs> um. All right, that's a that's a good one, Andrew. Um. All right, I forgot how we end this show. <laughs> Uh, um, you know who definitely could have done better? Not our patrons. Our oh, patrons wonderful do great. patrons! <laughs> they can do better than us. Thank you for listening. Please follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher at Musicals with Cheese. Our Twitter is at Cheesy Musicals. Our Patreon is Musicals with Cheese. Instagram Musicals with Cheese. YouTube page Musicals with Cheese. We have a Patreon-only podcast, Patreon with Cheese. Our emails musicaltheaterlives at gmail.com. Our title card was created by the amazing Jolene Casco. Go send her some love at Jolene Casco. Our keeper of the cheese is Juliet Antonio. This show is produced by the amazing, the wonderful, we miss you so much, Brianna Jones. Our theme songs were created by Robin Nash of IOU Music UK. Thank you to the Broadway Podcast Network for having us on the platform and for not kicking us off yet. Um, actually, Andrew, we do have a little bit extra at the end of this episode. I'm sorry to say this. Okay. But I don't know if you keep up with our Twitter at all, but we've been having a contest on our Twitter. Oh, Lord. What's going on on our Twitter? Well, within the last two weeks, anyone that posted a new or a, a brand new review on our on our um, iTunes or whatever it's called, Apple Podcasts, um, gets put into a raffle to, you know, get a $25 gift card to Amazon.com. Give Daddy Bezos some money. Yeah, Daddy Bezos. So I need you to pick a number between one, two, three, and four. Uh, one and four. Okay. Well, let me think really carefully. So this is whole numbers only, or can I use decimals? You cannot use decimals. <laughs> whole numbers only. And I can pick one and four as well. Yes. Okay. Hmm. I'm going to pick three. Okay. So... This episode, if you're listening right now, the one with an iTunes name of AJSKI35 that had the review titled Nothing But Good Things, you get a free $25 <laughs> gift card to Amazon. Just DM me on the Cheesy Musicals Twitter and we'll hook you up there. Be sure to be listening because you know what? In the next four weeks if you leave a review you will also get your name put into a raffle so those who already left a review you're still there but you can add a bunch of new names onto it and the next time we record i will be doing that so not next week but the week after all right all right guys all right you gotta leave your reviews um andrew is there anything else you want to say before we wrap this shig dig all up i love you all all right the end that was That's very it. sincere. I did not expect that. Man, all right. I don't know what to say. I'm lost for words here. I guess I got to go blow up a library now. I'm, you don't have to. Julie, boom! Uh, I blew up a library. Jess, this is why white people hate you. I know. I know. <laughs>
<laughs> we'll see you next time on Musicals with Cheese. Ragtime, ragtime, da 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 da, ragtime, ragtime. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.